at church. And so in the church, in the middle of the time, he casts that demon out. That was the power over that side. But what about the temptation and the sin that's in our life? What about the sin that mars us? And that's what we're going to look at today, that he can do that as well, that he has total power over removing that from our lives. We're going to look at Mark chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with us and would like to look at that section. Mark chapter 2. The second piece of the puzzle comes into place here as well. Before we get ready to read, let's bow for a quick word of prayer. And we'll do a silent prayer first so that you have an opportunity to prepare yourself uh, for the lesson. And then I will close us out. Father, thank you for this opportunity to talk with you. Thank you for forgiveness that we're going to see today. Thank you for your son. You know, whenever we sang that song, The Love of Christ, there's a picture there of the cross, and it said, It is finished. The word for that is tetelestai, and it was in a perfect tense. It meant that before the foundation of the world, that was the answer. And when those sins were judged on the cross, it had stood from time past to time future for all time. It was finished. The judgment was done upon our Lord, and he took away those sins, and then he has power on earth to forgive them. And we thank you for that. And Father, as we study this, we pray that our minds will be open, that our eyes will be able to see and our ears will be able to hear exactly the message that you want shared today, 2,000 years later. And Father, be with us and challenge us by the things that we are about to uncover and reveal from your holy and divine word in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus today in Mark chapter 2 is going to use the illustration of a paralytic young man who was brought to him by four of his friends on a mat. He couldn't walk on his own to Jesus, but they brought him there. And he's going to use this to show that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin. So if you're there in Mark chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting around and they started thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit exactly what they were thinking. 
He said unto them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to do? To say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and walk, and go home. He got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, and in our language today, we ain't never seen nothing like that before. What an amazing story. And I want to tell you that as I put this lesson together this week, that I fell in love with Jesus. And I've told a few people, yeah, I thought I knew him. But I fell in love this week with this story. It's broke me up every time I've, I've went through it. And I just hope that in some way that the Holy Spirit allows me to present it to you as he did to me as I was studying it this week. This is such a powerful section of Scripture. It knocked me out as well. We find Jesus back at Capernaum. He says in the text here, back home. <clears throat> it seems that this was his home base. If you go back to chapter 1, we finished last week <clears throat> discussing about he had went to the synagogue and cast out the demon. And then after that, as you continue the rest of the chapter... He had went to Peter's home, Peter and Andrew. And he went there with them and his mother-in-law was sick and he touched her hand and grabbed a hold of it and he lifted her up. And she got up then and was healed of the sickness and then she went about fixing the food for him. People started coming all around out of the woodwork bringing to him the sick and the paralyzed and the demon-possessed and he took care of them all. And there was such a surrounding of the house that that next morning, he had to go out and find a quiet place. He had to find a place to recharge his batteries with God and to pray. The disciples went looking for him. They woke up, and he wasn't there. And they said, where is he at? And they started looking all around. And they went, and they found him in this secluded place. And he said, they said, where have you been? The people are seeking you. And he said, I've got to go and teach in other places. Let's go. I'm going to go around, and they... He went teaching throughout then all of the area of Galilee for a few days. And then now as we come back to chapter 2, it says that he has come home. In the King James Version, I like that, it says he's in the house. That was a popular saying a few years ago, especially if you was like watching ESPN and you would see on Monday night before the Monday night game, the guys are going over stuff and there'd be a big play go on and they'd say... Peyton Manning was in the house, you know, and they would be all excited about it. That's what was going on here. It was exciting. The news went about that Jesus is in the house. He's back home. And so now they've come back here, verse 1 says, after these few days, and this became home base for them. And that's why it kind of lends in the NIV to say that he was back home where it was. And Jesus began building his ministry then from there. And actually... If you visit Capernaum today, you can see the remains of, of that house. They, archaeologists rediscovered it back in 1838. And when it was dug up, there were several articles found there. 
articles of pottery and different things that had religious symbols on it, and it had names of Jesus, Simon and Peter. And so it was very well thought that this was the house that they were at. And they built a church there. And the church of Capernaum is built over the top of these remains. And it has a glass floor so that the people, when they go in there, can actually look through as they worship and see the floor of the floor plan of where Jesus actually was staying at this time. Folks, this stuff is true. I like to put these kind of pictures up and I like to talk about these type of things to show you that it's irrefutable that Jesus is who he said. For 2,000 years, the wisdom of mankind, the powers of darkness has tried to disprove something from this word and they have never been able to do it. Never. Something written that long ago has never been disproved. That is something to take hold on. When we look at this, that builds your faith that this actually happened. This event that we're going to talk about today is real. And Jesus is real in his love and and what he can do for us. Now it says in our text that Jesus was there and the crowds assembled around the house. And in verse 2 it says that they were in such large numbers that there was no room left outside, not even around the door. And as I thought about this week, I thought, you know, when people begin to find out that Jesus is here, that he's in the house, we're not going to be able to have a big enough parking lot. So that's our duty is to get that word out that Jesus is here. He's in the house. There's not going to be a problem with that. And they all came initially wanting something. Most of them came because of what they were hearing. It's a big event. We want either healed or we want to see a miracle. So there was something that drew them there. But again, John says at the end of his gospel that those things were done so that you might believe and have faith that this was Jesus. He is handing out his business card again. And so he is there. And you got to remember that in these times, they didn't have computers. They didn't have TVs. There was no radio There was nothing like that. This was entertainment. This was the big draw. And if you actually was at some place where you saw that, you was like the draw now for the rest of the time. You go home and say, I actually was there and saw that. You'd be talking about that for years with people. So they all surrounded in huge numbers. And it says, what was Jesus doing, does it say there? It says that he was speaking, he was teaching them the word. It says that he was talking about the word. Everything that he did was to draw attention to the truth and to him and what he was doing. The word that will set you free from the bondage of sin that's going on in your life. There's a unique word here that's used about the, the describing the folks was there. It was how many it was. That unique word means... It was innumerable. This was in the upper hundreds to the thousands of folks who had gathered around as the word spread so that they were packed like sardines and there was no more room, not even at the door. So now it says that he taught to them the word. The word is logos in the original language here of what he was talking about to them. 
You know what he was teaching them then? About himself. Because the word logos is used to describe the Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the logos, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And as we're talking about the word of God, I'm seeing the future of our church go by. Love those little kids. I love to see them every day. Someone asked me one time, does that bother you? I said, no, it doesn't bother me a bit. What happens if they talk louder? They do something. I said, I'll talk louder. I'll, I'll tell them back there in the booth, turn me up. Because I love to see our kids go through here. That is our future. You don't have to do that now. <laughs> But that's what we would do. I'll just get louder. We'll we'll have a contest. But he's talking about the word. He's talking about himself. He is the logos. So he is teaching them about himself. That's the drawing power to get him there. So that he could tell them who I am. I'm Messiah. I'm the redeemer. I am God in flesh. I am Emmanuel. And I am here for you. And that's what they're doing. And then they bring to him. As he was teaching in verse 3. They bring to him this paralytic young man who's on a mat and he was carried there by four people the word in the scripture says sick of the palsy that actual word what it really means is weakness the man had a weakness that was in the hebrew mind we were going to find a comparison of what they thought and this is why jesus uses this as an illustration he wanted to use this as what you are when you're held in the bondage of sin without Christ. And in Romans 5 and verse 6, it says the same word there. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, there's that word, without strength and weakness, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the analogy in a spiritual sense, weak and without strength. Christ restores strength By demonstrating here that his power over sin in our physical domain. And that's the reference here. He's going to tell the teachers of the law in a minute. You see, I have the power on earth to forgive sins. That's what he's going to tell them. And even though it was not always the case in in their mindset. It's not the case now. But in their mindset, you see, they had saw in the exodus that God had told them. I'm not going to let your clothes wear out. I'm not going to let a baby die and be a miscarriage. I'm not going to let these sicknesses happen. Their mindset was then, oh, if we, as long as you are in my word, I'm going to carry you those 40 years. So they got the idea that sin was somehow tied to these weaknesses or the things that would happen. And though it wasn't the case, because that's what they thought he is going to use this in this situation. You remember... We talked about when John the Baptist, that his mother, she was barren. And what that was, the people would think, oh, what have you done? Job, the same thing. You remember Jesus talking with his disciples. They would say when he came to a blind man, who was it that sinned? Was it him or his parents? And he said, neither one of them. But this is going to be for you as an example of what I can do. And that's what he's doing here. And he's going to say your sins are forgiven. So these... In verse 4, these friends are carrying this young man up there with him. And they find out, and here is where I really started finding a love for Jesus Christ in this passage. The friends are carrying this young man there. 
they can't get to the front door because the huge number of crowds that's there. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and they're going to dig through the roof, and they're going to lower this mat down in front of him. And wow, what a vivid story. Think about what's happening here. Here's a young man. He's, I don't know where he's staying at, but he's lying on his mat and he can't do anything for himself. And he hears that this one that's called Jesus, this one that's called, called Jesus has been doing some great things. They're saying that he might be the Messiah, that he might be the Son of God. Maybe he can help me in my situation. But I can't get there myself. What about you? There's been times in my life where it seemed like I was in bondage and I couldn't move and it was hard for me to get there by myself as well. I needed some help or I needed some prayers and I needed different things. And I'm sure that you have too. This young man started asking for help and he asked some friends and some family and he finally got poor people and they came and he said I've heard about this one that's called Jesus and I think he can help me can you take me there and they said we have heard of him too yeah we will take you to him and so these friends put him in a mat and they carry him a long way and they get there and they're all excited, and then all of a sudden, what happens? There's no room. They're late to the party. They can't get there. The door is blocked. And you know what? The folks that are there aren't letting him in. I'm sure that they were saying, hey, we've got to see Jesus, and they wouldn't let him in. They was keeping him away. They didn't give up. They got a little creative. They said, we're going to find another way. We're going to go around to the back. Thank goodness for friends like that that are creative and won't let you down and keeps fighting for you. Now picture this. They all agree and they take him. There's always going to be obstacles on your road to Jesus. There is going to be obstacles to keep you from either getting there in the first place or coming back to him when you're apart. There's always going to be an obstacle. There's going to be people that's going to try to keep you from there. There's going to be that evil one that's going to whisper lies to you that you shouldn't do that. You've got a past. You're not good enough. I'm here to tell you don't listen to those lies. I'm going to introduce you to the Savior who says, I don't care. Your sins are forgiven you. So we serve. When they brought him there and he saw their faith, he's going to tell them as I was sharing with somebody this morning. We serve a from now on God. What happened whenever the disciples was there and they was doing the fishing and different things? Oh, I'm not worthy. Stand up. Come on and follow me. From now on, you're going to catch fish. I serve a God that says, I don't care 
about that side. I care about this side. And from now on, you're going to walk with me. That's the God that we serve. You see, at this time, they said, I got an idea. We're going to go up around to the back. At this time, there was the roofs were flat, and they kind of doubled as a place to grow potted herbs and some of your different things that you used and a place to react, uh, relax. And there was a stairwell, usually at the back of the house, that would lead up to this flat roof. And the guys say, everyone's packed around the door, but nobody's in the back. Let's go around to the back, and let's go up the stairs. And that's what they do. And they take this young man and their friend, and they, they wrap him up, and they carry him up here. And I can imagine, as they start walking around, they're listening for where Jesus is at. You've seen the old westerns where the Indians had put their ear down to the trail and listened for the, the horses' hooves. They're, they're listening saying, he's right here. I can hear him talking. He's right here. So they start taking the tiles off of the roof. And underneath the tiles, there's grass thatch. And they started digging through that. The original language here talks about a two-step activity of where they created an opening. And then they began digging. And so they, take, they find out where he's at. They take the tiles off the roof. They begin digging through the roof. And they make an and a great effort to get him to Jesus. It's not always going to be easy, and sometimes you've got to think out of the box and be creative. But they found a way to get here. Now, can you imagine, as Jesus is sitting there teaching, and you begin to hear something? Peter's standing there too, and I always think of Peter, you know, he's grinning. He's sitting there, I'm, I'm right here with with the Lord and I'm standing by his side and he's in my house and that's home base but all of a sudden he begins to hear something up on the roof Jesus is talking and he hears it a little louder that sounds like a big beaver trying to chew through my roof what is going on here I can picture him starting to get a little upset now Lord this is a little off the hook you could use the house but I didn't want folks coming and tearing it up in a party well, all of a sudden, dirt starts dropping down. And Jesus has been talking, and I can just picture him now seeing the dirt start falling. And it comes down. All of a sudden, now light shines through. A hose starts being made. You know what happens next? I picture, as I was doing this, a couple of heads poked down through that hole. And a couple of people look down. And I see Jesus looking back up. And he has a smile on his face. He says, bring him down. Bring that young man down to me. So they, they start making the hole bigger and bigger. And they make it big enough to where they can drop the young man down. And they bring him to him. And what does Jesus do? Remember, this is God with us. What is the reaction? He looks at him. And he loves him. And he says, I see your faith. Son, your sins are forgiven you. That's the God I serve. That's our from now on God. 
the man didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to say, but please forgive me. You don't understand what, no, you don't have to say a word. I see your faith. Your sins are forgiven. I don't care how you come to him. If you have to crawl, cry, get dragged by 15 people. All you got to do is bring your faith. If you've got your faith with you when you come, that's what he will see. And that's what he wants. Matter of fact, I got some people that will help you anytime that you want. All you got to do is call me. This young man had four friends who carried him there. I got four friends too that will bring you to him anytime you want. Their names are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think that there was a reason that there was four Gospels. Just like this man had four friends to carry him there. I've got four friends that will help you get to Jesus anytime that you want to. All you got to do is bring your faith. And we will show you next what happens. He looked at them and he said, I love what he said next. Jesus' first words to him was, Son. That word, technon, means a toddler who is totally yet willingly dependent upon someone for everything in their life to care for them. He looked at this young man and he just said, Son, I see your condition. I'm taking care of you with everything. Your sins are forgiven you. He didn't say a word. It's like one of my favorite songs. He came to him in faith, and Jesus looked at him, and he saw that faith, and he saw, I'm sure he read that young man's mind like he's going to read the teachers here in a minute. And like one of my favorite songs, what he saw in that young man was, My only hope is you, Jesus. My only hope is you. And Jesus said, I see that hope and I see that faith and son I know you're dependent on me and I forgive you now I want you to notice that Jesus spoke to the man's conscience long before he ever spoke about his illness I came across a quote this week putting this together from a man named McLaren and it's a classic it's a jewel and I wanted to share that with you today it says that the taproot of all misery is sin. Hacking away, and until that is de dealt with, until sin, until the taproot is dealt with, hacking away at the branches that grow from it is a sad waste of time. And if you've seen a tree that doesn't have a taproot and the the roots grow sideways. What happens when the wind blows? Flips over. Can't stand. This tap root. If you're having deep problems. You've got to deal with it. He says that the tap root. The thing that grows deep. Of misery. Is sin. This is why. You've got all kinds of people. That try to help you these days. Psychiatrists. And different programs. And different things. 
but they are not trained to deal with the taproot of what's causing the problem. Oh, they'll try to hack a couple of branches off for you. But most of them aren't Christians, and most of them aren't trained skillfully in the Word of God. And so all you're going to be doing is wasting time, hacking away at branches. The issue of sin is a God thing. It's a God thing. It takes the blood of the Lamb, and it takes the prayers of forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. So until it is dealt with, you and I are only hacking away at the branches. But then when Jesus gets ready to tell him that your sins are forgiven him, the scribes and the Pharisees in verse 6, they will never let you down. Anytime there's something that needs to be brought out and paid special attention to, they're there to make sure that that happens. And in verse 6, they've uncovered a doozy this time. All of a sudden they're listening and they snap to attention and say, What did he say? Did he say what I thought he did? Your sins are forgiven you? That's blasphemy. Only God can do that. You know how they heard what was going on? You remember what it says in another place that, that they always think that they have to have the best seats in the house? They are the ones that's up close and could hear what was really going on and being said. And so they were sitting there and they snapped too. He just said something that only God can do. And Jesus is saying, bingo, you get to go to final jeopardy now because that's exactly what I wanted you to think. And guess what? They're saying, why does this fellow talk like this? In verse 8, it says, Jesus immediately knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. That's still true today, by the way. He knows what we think. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. It says, he saw what they were thinking in their hearts, and all of a sudden he starts telling them that. You know what that is? Clue number two, that I am God. Not only am I going to have this ability, but I also just read your mind, and I'm telling you what you said. He said, I know why you're saying, why are you thinking these things? But what is easier, verse 9, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to take up your bed and walk? I'm going to tell you what's easier. It's to take up your bed and walk because it took the blood of Christ to forgive sins. That was a little harder. He can speak the words here, but because of his death, he can also speak the words that your sins are forgiven you. He says to them, I could just tell the man that his sins are forgiven, but so that you know, he says in verse 10, I want you to know that the Son of Man has the power, the authority to forgive sins on earth. So he said to the man, Son, get up, take your mat, and walk. And what happened? If you look at verse 12, it says that he, he got his mat, and then get this. It says, In full view of everyone, he took up his mat, and he walked. Now I want to tell you, you make no mistake, if you go to, a, like say, a high school football game, and you're standing there, if you saw somebody come in on a blanket with four people, you saw it and you've paid attention to it. That doesn't go unnoticed. Everybody in this crowd saw what happened. They heard the buzz inside. They saw him go on the roof, dig a hoe. And then they saw this man walk out carrying that bed. They saw him. They didn't miss a thing here. They saw him go all the way through there. And then it says in verse 13, they were amazed. 
and they were astonished. It says we ain't never seen anything like this before in our life. But I want you to notice that in their amazement and in their astonishment, I don't read that they had any faith. The only one that I see that Jesus referred to as having faith was the young man and the four people that brought him there. Everyone else came for a show and they got their show and they were amazed and they went home and watched Sunday night football after that. And it didn't affect them at all, okay? They saw him get up on his own two feet and walk out and it didn't affect them. I'm going to close now with chapter 11 or of Matthew as the band makes their way on up. Matthew chapter 11. And remember, Jesus and this young man that's on the mat and the home that they're in is in Capernaum, remember? That's now his home base. They're in Capernaum. And they have saw all of these things that's been happening in Capernaum in chapter 1 and chapter 2. When you go to Matthew chapter 11, I read this. And you, Capernaum, in verse 23... You will be lifted up to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would still be standing. But you didn't. And I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on that day of judgment than for you. And I say, really? Think about what is actually being said there. Let's take that scripture out of the box, out of, out of the Bible box and look at it. What Jesus said in Matthew 11 is, you saw what I did in chapter 1, you saw what I did with the man in chapter 2, and it didn't affect you. If the folks in Sodom, it's going to be more bearable for them because if they had saw these things they would have repented they would have had faith in me and it would still be standing and they didn't have that opportunity but you did but you saw these things and you go on about your life and it doesn't affect you it doesn't change your mind and you didn't believe in me as the son of God you went home that night and watched walking dead which fully described what you are because you didn't Listen to, to me. You saw all these things. I can't imagine that it's going to be more tolerable for a place whose name epitomizes homosexual activity. That when angels of God came there to drag Lot and his family out, they threw a riot in the town and wanted to take those angels for themselves. And it's going to be more bearable for them? That's some tough stuff. But you know what about us? We even have more than Sodom and Capernaum because we have my four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's so much more in there than was ever saw in Capernaum or Sodom. So I pray, and I bring that up only because I love each and every one of you. And if there is someone in here who needs to make that step, please do. Don't leave and just go back and not let it affect you. Like this man on the mat and his friends, bring your faith.
And that's all you have to bring today. If you need to be baptized into Christ or if there's something that you just really need special prayers for, make that known today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for challenging us with this, that not only do we see our Savior in such a special way, that he would stand there and smile and see the faith of these young men as they pop their head through the roof and, and you say, come on down and son, don't say a word, I forgive you. May we be challenged to believe that that is you and that you love us that much and you tell us the same thing. And Father, may we be challenged to just react to your word today. And we thank you in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross near the deep.